Hi, this is Josh Esther. Welcome to the Grace Taught Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about what it means to be a Christian. It was difficult to know how to start this discussion because there's a lot of ways to begin. Do we start with someone's life when they're born? Do we start with the beginning of the Bible? Do we? How do we a- answer this relatively complicated question, especially when we consider all of the political and historical issues that are related to it? But the goal of this podcast is to talk about Christian life, like what it actually means in my life, not just in the world's life. When someone first becomes a Christian, the first thing they have to do is put their faith and trust in the redemptive work of Jesus. Now, what that means basically is that in your real life, you're going to have moments where you don't know what is true. You don't know what is right. You're going to come up to a a moment in your life. Now, this is true if you're Christian or not Christian. You're going to have a moment where you have to decide for yourself whether you want to follow the truth, the conviction on your heart of what is right and wrong, or whether you're just going to ignore it. And this moment may happen multiple times. But ultimately, as a Christian, the idea is that we want everything we are to be given over to God. We want our lives to be His. We want our heart to be His. And this usually starts in a person's life before they even know that it is God who is calling them. To give a little bit of a background, I'd like to cover some things that I think are very central to this idea. So first, let's go over the Old Testament. If you've read the Bible at all, you'll notice that there are Old Testament and New Testament books. And these two things come together to create the Bible. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a history, and this history leads us to the story of Jesus. And of course, Jesus is the Messiah for Christians, so this background story is incredibly important. First, we we start off in the first chapters of the Bible with the story of Adam and Eve. And in this story, Adam and Eve, in many ways, reject God. They turn against him. They don't trust him. And God promises in Genesis 3.15 that he will cause a separation, a a dislike between themselves and sin, and that there will be a Messiah, a, a promised Savior, a Son, who will come and save them from their sins. This is actually the first biblical implication that we're going to have a Messiah, that Jesus will come. Now, of course, the, the issue is that God's people reject him time and time again. Not only do we see this with Adam and Eve, but we see it with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who multiple times in the Old Testament make mistakes. And yet, because Abraham trusted God's word to him, God chose Abraham. And from Abraham, you end up with the nation of Israel, who were in slavery in Egypt because of a famine that brought them to Egypt. And after they lived there many years, the Egyptians started treating them as secondary citizens and then eventually as slaves. And God saves them from that situation. He saves them from slavery through miracles and through power and through amazing things that God does. Now, the Messiah is then promised to these broken people over and over again in the prophets in the Old Testament, right? So you have uh, the first five books of the Bible, which are God's story with Israel through Moses. Now, after Moses passes away, you have Joshua, and Joshua leads them up to to the judges, and the judges are like wise leaders who aren't kings, but they're guiding the people. And then they end up with the nation of Israel, and this nation has a king uh, because they wanted to be like the other nations of Israel. So God's people reject him over and over again. 
He gives them blessing. He does miracles for them. He saves them from nations that are more powerful than them. And yet they still reject him over and again. And each time God tells them that they should be punished, that they deserve to be destroyed because they're liars and cheaters and they break the covenant that they made, the promise that they made with him. But God steps in and he saves them, even though they should be destroyed. He works in their life. He does miracles again. This process repeats and repeats and repeats. Ultimately, Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, the nation of Israel, which was the nation that should have seen him coming, they should have expected it. This nation still did not see him. They didn't recognize him because they had been so focused on their own ways. And yet Jesus started working and did miracles. So this story of Jesus, he, he lives his life. He does the miracles. He saves many, many individuals from diseases, from sickness, from suffering, and yet they still crucify him. And of course, the, the crucifixion story is beyond words. It's beautiful. It is horrible. It is tantalizing and overwhelmingly painful to think about because the God of love who gave everything is being betrayed, being murdered, being tortured by those he is saving. And it shows that he is a God of love, that he is good, that he's worthy because even though, yes, there is suffering in this world, he was willing to come down and join into that suffering to redeem those who suffer, to make all things right. And eventually, which this is later in the story, but Jesus will come again and judge the world for its sins. So this isn't the end. Like even today, we're still not at the end of the story. So we kind of have a background here, right? There, You and I, as we hear the stories of the gospel, we are in a context, a context where God has done miracles to save his people. And Christians are called Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? They're called Christians. It means to be a Christian that we are like Christ, ones who are like Christ. And as a Christian, eventually, through the work of God in our lives, our behaviors, our attitude, our very direction of our life mirrors and resembles Christ. You see, ultimately, the Christian claim is that Jesus is the only one worthy of worship, that he is good, that he is God's son. He represents who God truly is. And therefore, of course, we worship him. We trust him. We want to be like him. And that's the Christian call, to say that Jesus is the one who's worthy of worship. One of Jesus's most famous quotes is Matthew 7, 17, and it says, Every good tree brings forth good fruit but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. What this simply means is that uh, a thing will bring forth more of itself, right? So if, if I'm an evis, evil, selfish, arrogant, mean person, I'm going to duplicate that or, or cause more of that to happen in the world. It's what's naturally going to flow out of me. And it's the only thing that can flow out of me because that's what I am. And part of the Christian life is to realize that because of Adam and Eve, because of my families and because of my sins, I have a nature, a tendency to want sin. It's what I actually prefer. And I need to have a new heart. I need to be changed. Jesus says that he was the, he's the vine and we are the branches, or he's the, the stump of the tree and we are the branches. We, he's the source and we need to connect to him. I need to have a new heart. I need his life, his attitude, everything flowing through me. And what does that look like? You see that part of the issue is that we have churches that say they represent Jesus, 
And a lot of these people sincerely want to, but they don't follow through with giving their whole life to Jesus. And so they're not actually living a Christian life, right? Living a Christian life actually is supposed to mean something. It's supposed to have merit. It's supposed to have power. It's supposed to change the world. In fact, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you'll see that the disciples who were followers of Jesus and were giving everything to be like him and to follow him, they turned the world upside down. Because the world, as you've seen, I'm sure in your life, lives off of selfishness and power. And I have to try to get ahead and I will manipulate. I will twist the words. I, I may not directly lie because I don't want to get in trouble, but, but I'm going to bend things. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to try. You know, it's all about me. As long as I can get ahead. It's as long as I can have more pleasure. As long as I, it's all about number one. But the disciples were all about self-sacrificial love. And that's the kind of church you see in the beginning of Acts. This is the very beginning of the Christian movement. After Jesus passed away, he sent the Holy Spirit and the church is full of love and compassion and power. You see this liberal giving of love leads to a powerful movement that changes people and makes them more like Jesus. That's what you see in the Bible. So Christians who have given their whole life to Jesus, we learn and we grow and we become more and more like Jesus, which means over time we become more gracious and merciful to others because we start living like Jesus. I think of it this way. I don't have to um, attack someone or get vengeance on someone if I already know that I have an unlimited amount of something. So let me explain what I mean a little more. If you think about, like, let's say your friend uh, or not even your friend, someone steals $500 from you. Now, if you were a trillionaire, the $500 are going to seem so relatively unimportant that you're not going to walk around and internalize this loss and, and be stressed about it and worry about it. Whereas if you're poor or if you have a, an average amount of income, losing $500 is going to mean something to you. Um, it, it's going to affect you. It's going to stress you out. And we as Christians should, now I'm not saying we always do, but the idea is that we live every day with the recognition that the king of the universe is our heavenly father, that we've accepted Jesus. And so we've been adopted into the family of God. And biblically, that's exactly the truth, that you and I don't have to worry about getting vengeance. We don't have to worry about trying to fulfill our needs in the same way that the world does, because we have a father who loves us, who cares for us, who takes care of us. And so being gracious and merciful makes sense. Like mercy is when I don't do to someone or expect from someone the things that they owe me, right? If someone deserves death, I don't give them death. I have mercy, right? And so, well, why? Because my account is so full, I don't need to extract everything possible from them. It's a very practical thing. It's logical. It's logical that I know the God of the universe has my back, so I don't need to go scrape through every penny possible. Now, for the sake of those who have wronged me, of course, it's good that they learn to follow through with their word and to be just and to do the right thing, because this will affect their heart. I, I don't mean to say that we don't have justice. Justice is absolutely necessary, because justice and love cannot live, uh, cannot exist without each other. It's, they're part of the same thing, and that's the character of God. And this God who is so powerful and so good will take care of you. He is the judge and he will take care of getting vengeance. And that's, once again, later on in the story. We're still not there yet. 
all things have not been made right. But, but today, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means God is my heavenly father and I can trust him. I can forgive, I can love, and I can even pray for my enemies. Why? Because my enemies are so weak compared to Jesus. Now, compared to me, they may be powerful. They may be wiser than me. They may be more talented than me. They may have more ability to destroy me than I can protect myself. But I know that God has a plan for my life. I know that. I have experienced it in my life. I've seen it in my life. And that's what walking with Christ looks like. It looks like you have this desire to get vengeance. And so you bring that desire to God and you say, Lord, I know that this person owes me money. I know that this person wronged me and what they did was wrong and I want to get them for it. But you know what? I'm going to trust you. I may call them out. I may ask them for the things and I may ask them for restitution and to do the right thing. But ultimately my heart is set on Jesus. I am safe. I have a foundation that lasts longer than those $500. I don't need those things ultimately. Then there's another part of, the, of Christianity that we welcome and we serve the marginalized. Like we're able, we're able to give to those who are in need in a way that isn't even about me. Like it's, it's almost logically impossible that if, if there's no God and if there's no recognition of God in your life, right? It's almost impossible to honestly say that you're giving without any desire for it to be about you right? Because if there's just me and this person and God isn't in the equation, then, well, it's just me and this person. And so I'm the one giving, I, I somehow get points for this, right? But if I recognize that God is the God of the universe and that all good things come from him and that he's the one who's been taking care of me, for, for me to give that back is so obvious. It's so natural when I keep my mind fixed on that reality. I keep my mind fixed on the reality that Jesus will take care of me. So I don't have to go around and try to make up for every little thing. I can, in fact, give out of the abundance, out of the extra, out of the overflow, even out of what I already have that I think I need. I can give out of that because, well, because I know that Jesus has a plan for my life. I know he does. And I know he loves those people and he cares, so I can give, right? And so we can welcome, we can serve the marginalized. Why? Well, because he welcomed and he served me. I'm broken. I'm in need. Everything I have that's worth anything is from Jesus. So, of course, I can give. That's part of what it looks like to be Christian because that's what Jesus was like. He was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was called a, a, a drunkard, right? This man spent time with broken people because he was connected to his father. And that's what I want to be like. I want to be so connected to my father that I can spend time with, with people who are suffering. And I, the, the suffering, those things, the, the alcohol and the drugs and the, et cetera, doesn't attract me. I have Jesus filling my needs. And so I can then give out of that abundance and, and, and make a difference for the world, which in my opinion, that's what the world needs. <laughs> my opinion, it's, it's so just real, right? The world needs people who are willing to give and help and support and lift up. And how's that going to happen if Christians don't start leaning on Jesus and trusting in him and getting power from him, right? Learning his word, changing the way we think and act and live so that the world can find out that through his people, there is good. 
and that that, wor- that good comes from the Holy Spirit. All of these things come from a Christian that has known Jesus. So we care for the sick. We care for the needy. We care for the underprivileged. We care for the widowed and the orphaned and the poor and the abused and the vul- vulnerable. All of these people who are last. All of these people who cannot give us anything back. And the only thing that they'll give back, we pray, would be their love for God. They would say, wow, these Christians changed my life. They helped me. They put food on the plate. They gave me a bed to sleep in. They hugged me with arms of care. They met my needs and healed my wounds. They were there for me. And, and these things point me to Jesus. And I want to be, I want to follow Jesus. If that's what Christians are like. You see, so being a Christian isn't about sitting on your high horse and judging people. Judgment is for God. In fact, when you see someone sinning, you should see yourself, who you were before Jesus. That's the Christian life. Now, part of the Christian life, a huge part, a huge, huge part is the condition of our heart, right? So it's not like I become Christian and now I do a lot of good things so I can look Christian. Christ, being Christian is actually about being Christian, being like Jesus. So what does this look like? Well, uh, the truth is... Christians, when we first become Christian, are in many ways just like everyone else, in pretty much every way, except for now it's no longer my life that's central. It's Jesus's life. I'm no longer in charge. It's Jesus who is in charge. His Holy Spirit is in me, working in me to change me. And so the condition of my heart is, first, it's a relational thing where I say, God, I want you to be Lord of my life, right? So I say that. But then what happens is in the day-to-day journey of life, I have to choose if I'm actually going to allow that to be real right? I have to choose, like, so there there was a part in my life where when I would see this girl, right, I would say, wow, she's so attractive, and I would, I would reproduce the images in my mind, or I would imagine how to get with her, or I would, I would think of all these selfish things, right? And I, and I would manipulate the situation to benefit myself, okay? But then once I become Christian, the, a similar type of thing will happen where she'll walk by or I'll see this girl and those temptations, those thoughts, that old pattern of living will come, right? But the Bible says to take every thought captive in Jesus. And so I, ta- I, I say, okay, those ideas, are those true? Are those the best way? Are those the most meaningful way? Is that what God would do? And, and instead, I replace those things with good things. And I say, well, honestly, sometimes you, maybe I just need to separate myself from that situation. But once I'm more mature, then I can actually love and, and care for this person as a, as a daughter of God, right? And that's a very specific situation, right? As a young man that I am, though, that would be a situation where I had to learn how to do that, right? I had to learn how to give that over to God. I had to learn how to actually live a Christian life in that circumstance. And that's often how the Christian life looks. So yes, first I accept Jesus and I'm walking with Jesus and I'm on this journey with Jesus and I get to know him more deeply. But then there are moments in life where temptations happen. And part of the temptation is not to just, you know, grit your teeth and just not do the bad thing so I don't get in trouble. Okay, well, that might be good for the girl, right? Because now I'm not being rude and selfish and a jerk towards her. But it's not going to help me if I'm just gritting my teeth and avoiding the problem. No, no, no. I need to bring that problem to God. I need to bring that problem to God and to his word and to prayer. And I need to let his word change my heart and change my mind. Because here's the thing. Doing that stuff, right? Like let's use the example I've been using with this girl that I that I've imagined, right? Okay. 
going out and flirting with her or, or trying to get with her or trying to take advantage, whatever, all of these things are actually bad for me. They're actually bad for her. They're actually bad for her family, for her friends, for if she has kids, for her parents, for my family, for my kids, for my parents. For It's actually bad. But right now, I'm tempted to listen to the old man inside of me, to, to those old lies I used to believe, and to live as if it's not bad, and it's not destructive, and it's going to bring me joy, even though I know that it's not. So then I have to confront those lies in the moment, and maybe afterwards, and maybe with friends and support. And I need to confront those lies and then become a better man by changing the way I think, the way I feel about a situation, the assumptions I have, the old patterns. And this is a process, right? There's an old saying, sanctification is the process of a lifetime. And what that basically means is that becoming a Christian, what does it mean? Well, it means you're on a journey with God and he's going to bring you into situations. Life is going to bring you into temptation. And when that happens, you have an option to go your old way or to now go the new way that you know of Jesus. So, but the question is, how is my, like, where does that come from? So it says, there's a, there's this great promise that I want to give you because I think this is super important. In Romans, it's in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 13. It says this, for everyone who will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. You may have heard about Jesus and you've given your heart to him. But this calling on the name of the Lord happens when the enemy attacks. Not only at the beginning of your walk with Jesus, but every day with Jesus. Because we live in a world where there is sin. And you happen to have a sinful tendency and old habits that you need to give over. So there's going to be moments where you're attacked, whether from within or without. And the Bible promises, I'm going to say it again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calling on the name of the Lord is calling, asking for, giving your situation over to his power, his name, his truth, his character. Saying, Lord, come into my life. I don't want to go down this old path. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to love. I want to be faithful. I want to be courageous. I want to be a man of God, a daughter of God. I want to do this thing. In a di I don't want to be like my family was. I don't want to be like I used to be. I don't want it. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me strength. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? So I just want to point out that this isn't like a math equation where, well, oh, I'm struggling with sin, so now I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to fill in the box with saying, Jesus, come. And then because I filled in the box and just said these magical words, Jesus, no, no, no. Give your heart over to him. And because I say that because it's so practical, right? It's so it's so real that your temptation is going to be different than mine. And so if I just give you some sort of math equation where you have, okay, where you have to say these magical words, well, maybe it won't apply to your situation because your situation might be different. But the good news is, the great news is that God knows your heart. He knows you, right? The Bible makes it clear. The Psalms point out uh, in Psalm 139 that, God knew you from the day you were knit together, it says, from the day you were knit together in your mother's womb. He knew every day you were going to live before you lived one of them. He knows you. He has this ability to see the, the, the beginning from the end, right? He can see it, like step back and he knows, okay, this is where Josh is at right now. This is what's going on in his heart. He knows how to heal you. So call out to him. He will, right? 
And then I love this quote in Galatians. This is Paul, Galatians 2 verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So people wonder like when I, when I become a Christian, how is it fair that I was a sinner, I'm broken, and then Jesus like takes my, like Jesus takes the sin for me, right? And then I get to live as if I never did anything. And that's in some sense, right? Like I'm an individual, I still get to have my own mind, my own thoughts, my own, but really the biblical teaching is that it's Jesus living through me. So it's, it's me, my personality, but Jesus's character and heart living through me. Paul said it this way, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I trust him. My thoughts are bent, are leaning towards trusting in Jesus. And then lastly, another thing it means to be, um, to be Christian is that God defines my reality. And what I mean by that is, let's, let's start off with a very simple thing, right? My value as a person, right? Josh's value. It is defined by who God says I am, right? And so I don't get to judge myself. So let's say I sin, right? And I I fall short and I make mistakes and I do bad things. And I look in the mirror and I say, wow, Josh is a total jerk. Josh does not deserve to go to heaven. Josh, et cetera, et cetera. And those things may be to some level, maybe they may be true, okay? But the ultimate reality, the higher truth, is God's perspective, right? God's perspective obviously should be more important than a human's perspective. And according to God, who created everything and knows everything, he says that I am a son of God. That while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, right? And you've heard that verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him, so I can believe in Jesus. I can turn back to him. I can trust in him, right? And this value is still there because God says it is, right? I love this uh, question I once heard. It says, you know, how much value is a thing worth? Here on my desk, I have a pen. It's a green pen uh, and it's actually from a, a bank, right? And this pen is worth a certain amount. Uh, basically, though, what it's actually worth is whatever someone will pay for it, right? If someone will pay $10 for this pen, it's worth $10. If I could get someone to pay $100 for this pen, man, I would sell it tomorrow and I would get my 100 bucks. You see, God paid everything for you. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's real. Like your value is not defined based on what you think. And that's part of being a Christian. Part of Jesus being Lord is that he decides what your value is. And he already decided you're worth dying for. And more than that, Hebrews says that we have a, an intercessor or a priest or a, he's in heaven praying to God, hearing your prayers for you. He knows your thoughts today. So not only has he died for you, but he ever lives. He forever will be living to connect us to God. That's his goal. That's what he wants. So he died for you. He lives for you. But what does that mean by, you know, by extension? it means others have that same value, right? So that girl that I was talking about that I might be lusting after. The thing is, she's also a daughter of God, just as I'm a son of God. And for me to treat her like nothing but a bag of meat, how can I do that? How could I go directly against what God has said? 
to, to be a Christian means that I define this girl, I define my life, I define right and wrong, I define reality based on what God says it is. Because I've given everything over to him. He is the only one worthy of making those judgments. He, de he defines it. He gets to choose. It means I don't choose. It means, by the way, it means any church doesn't choose, right? And I know, th I know this is hard, but churches have made tons of mistakes, right? I, like I'm a pastor. I know churches are full of broken people. Now, the ideal church would be a place where you can grow and people can support you in your journey because we're not supposed to live alone. And, and in those churches, and in any church, any group of people are going to have opinions about what is right and what is wrong, just as I have opinions about what is right and what is wrong. But these opinions must be secondary to God's opinions on the subject. They don't get to decide, define for all eternity what is true. They should be like wise guidance markers, right? Like I go to them as a teacher, as a friend, as a support to help me know God more. But they're not the ultimate reality. And that this is good because they're going to make mistakes. And I don't have to say, well, a church made a mistake. Therefore, God is X and Y. No, no, no. The Bible never said that. Clearly throughout the whole Old Testament, which is why I pointed it out earlier, the whole Old Testament story is full of God choosing broken people to do broken things. But for his purposes, right? So they would do it imperfectly, but God's going to use this imperfect action to do a good thing. Just like if I go and I try to serve the poor, I might be in a bad mood or I might do it with selfish intentions, but it doesn't mean that that's not helping the poor, right? In the same way, you don't get to decide that the church made a mistake, therefore God is wrong. No, no, no. It's the other way around. God is a certain way and we judge the church based on who God is, right? And we judge reality we judge truth, not on what the church says, but on who God is. We don't judge reality based on what CNN says. We don't judge reality based on what Fox News says. None of these people, right? People that I think have interesting views that have that are intelligent maybe and are talented and interesting. No, no, no. Jesus is number one. And the good news for you and me is that God actually has called each one of us to know him. And each one of us starts in a different place. That no matter where you come from, whether it's far in the east or far in the west or far in the north or the south, you can come through that same gate. We all come in all these different areas, right? God, God knows who we are. He knows our differences, right? I'm very different than you. But God knows you and he can lead your life just like he led Abraham, just like he led David or Moses or even Jesus who said that what he did and his actions were not his own, but only what the Father told him, right? We can live this life of faith today because God has given the Holy Spirit. In fact, the reason you're listening to this is because you're curious about truth, I think. And you would not be curious about truth if God wasn't working in your life. And the fact that he's working in you and that he's calling you and that he's giving you the desire to know him more means, well, that he wants you, that he's working in your life, that he has a plan and that he's not going to give up. So I pray that you will apply this reality to your life, that being a Christian means that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Jesus said, I knock on the door, and anyone who opens the door, I will come into the house with him, and I will have dinner with him, and I'll change your life. Sure.